Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we have a special episode that's all about Jurassic World. We went and saw it at the first showing around here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and this episode's going to have a fair number of spoilers. <laughs> so if you haven't seen the movie yet, you should definitely see it. We both really enjoyed it, but you should see it before you listen to this podcast. Also, we mentioned this in the last episode, but if Jurassic World isn't enough for you, we are releasing several dinosaur books one is called The Top 10 Dinosaurs of 2014, and it mixes fiction with fact, imagining scenes of dinosaurs that were published about or described in 2014, along with facts about them. There's also a children's book called What Happened to Brontosaurus that chronicles the tale of Brontosaurus to Apatosaurus to back to Brontosaurus again. And I know some of you have helped us vote via Facebook and Twitter for a new cover for the first book in an epic fantasy series called Dinosaur Wars, which tells the tale of anthropomorphic dinosaurs fighting against each other in the Jurassic period. So between now and June 19th, if you sign up for our mailing list on inodino.com, if you go to our website and subscribe to the mailing list with your email address, then we'll send you a form so you can access free copies of all three of those books once they're available, and two of them are out already. They're just waiting to finalize the Dinosaur Wars book one. So jumping into Jurassic World... The movie opens with that egg hatching and Indominus Rex coming out of it, and you might not know it's Indominus Rex yet if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, but if you see the trailers and everything, you recognize it's kind of gray color and it's big claws coming out, and they show the two eggs, and later on they talk about how the full-grown Indominus Rex had eaten its sibling, so I guess that's what's supposed to be in the other egg. And then they immediately cut to a foot, and you think it's a dinosaur foot at first, but then they zoom on it. It turns out to be a crow. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, seems like that's kind of a nod to what we know about dinosaurs now, even though Jurassic World specifically didn't add too many features, such as feathers on their dinosaurs. Yeah, and then they have those two boys who run off to the island, and it's just kind of a way of introducing all the different rides and themes throughout the park with the big Mosasaurus, which I think was a little bit bigger in the movie. I think actually everything, <laughs> all the dinosaurs seemed like they were a little bit bigger than they would have been in real life, with the maybe the exception of the Apatosaurus. Because even that Indominus Rex, they showed the height of its skull being like the height of the main woman in the movie, and it seems pretty crazy, because if it was five feet tall, that would have made that skull like ten feet long. Remember, Indominus Rex is genetically modified. But they said it was only like 50 feet long, so... Uh. I don't know. But then they said it was bigger than they thought it would be. I don't know. It ended up being so huge, though. <laughs> There's a pretty large cast, and obviously one of the main characters is Chris Pratt, who plays Owen Grady. He is the trainer of the Velociraptors. As they're called in the movie, not really Velociraptors, really <laughs> Deinonychus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
and he's the one who obviously saves the day. Then there's Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays Claire, the main woman who is in charge of marketing and production of dinosaurs in Jurassic World. Other names include Vincent Donofrio, Ty Sumpkins, Irfan Khan, Nick Robinson, who, if you watch the ABC family show Melissa and Joey, he plays writer on that show, Jake Johnson, who, if you watch Fox's New Girl, he plays Nick, the bartender. And he's the character who's really similar to Samuel L. Jackson in the original Jurassic Park. He's kind of the voice of reason in the control room, making lots of declarations about how what they're doing is wrong and (laughs) trying to get things done the right way and opening all the doors and all that kind of stuff. Although he is also kind of combined with the Jeff Goldblum character in his snarkiness and his little comments about how what they're doing shouldn't be done that way as far as, you know, genetically modifying dinosaurs. There's also uh, Omar Sy, Judy Greer, who if you watch Archer voices the character Cheryl, and she's also on a new show on FX called Married. If you can't tell, we also watch a lot of TV. There's Lauren Lapkus and Andy Buckley, who I believe played David Wallace on The Office. And there's also B.D. Wong, who plays Dr. Henry Wu, and I think he might be the only actor who was also in the original Jurassic Park movie. So among other companies, Industrial Light and Magic did a lot of the visual effects, and they're the same group that did the CGI for the original Jurassic Park. But now there were quite a few companies involved with it in this movie, partly because there were so many more visual effects in this movie and a lot less puppets and things than there were in the original Jurassic Park. Jurassic World had a lot of references, both subtle and not subtle, to Jurassic Park. For example, they played the Jurassic Park theme music a lot throughout the movie and at different tempos to kind of go with the mood. Yeah, and different instruments. Sometimes it was just like a really slow piano of the beginning part, and (laughs) other times it was a real crescendo. So I thought it'd be fun to, since so much is known about Jurassic Park now, share some of the trivia about the original movie. And we've talked about a lot of this before, but it's just kind of fun to rehash. So the sounds of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park were made from a mix of animal sounds. For example, the Brachiosaurus was a mix of donkey and whale T-Rex was a mix of whale, tiger, alligator, and baby elephant. The Dilophosaurus was a mix of a swan and rattlesnake. Jurassic Park was a mix of CGI and puppets, animatronic puppets, and a lot of the scenes with the Velociraptors had people in Velociraptor suits. They called them raptor pants. And those people had to go to mime school for six weeks to learn how dinosaurs moved. Animators also shot videos of themselves acting like dinosaurs to help get them into character. For example, the scene where the Gallimimus herd is stampeding. They acted like they were in a herd and then kind of figured it out from there. So Jurassic Park was kind of a big deal because it depicted dinosaurs in a modern way and the way that we think of them now as smart and fast. And that scene where the Gallimimus are running away and they look like giant chickens or ostriches, that was the first real link in mainstream media that showed dinosaurs so closely related to birds. A couple of the iconic scenes in Jurassic Park, such as the one where the two kids are in the car and the T-Rex is coming after them and the glass breaks through in the roof and they're screaming, the glass wasn't actually supposed to break in the car. It's just that the animatronic T-Rex 
made that happen. So the kids' screams are real. Also, in general, the team had a little bit of trouble with that animatronic T-Rex because when it rained, or possibly when they had a rain scene, there would be a lot of rain that got into the animatronic T-Rex, and sometimes it went off on its own, making its own noises or something, when they were not even filming. So, in a way, it was kind of like they had a real dinosaur, or something kind of scary. The scene where you see the glass of water vibrating every time the T-Rex takes a step, Spielberg was inspired by it when he saw his rearview mirror shake while he was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire in his car. It was a really difficult scene to recreate, but they eventually made the rippling effect by strumming a guitar string that was attached under the dashboard beneath the glass. Originally, they had planned to do all of the action sequences in claymation, but when Steven Spielberg saw just how cheesy it looked compared to the CGI versions of it, he decided to go with CGI for the certain action sequences that they couldn't do with puppets. While they were filming Jurassic Park, the island in Hawaii, Kauai, where they were filming, was hit by a hurricane, and the cast and crew stayed in the lobby of the hotel while the hurricane was happening, except for Sir Richard Attenborough, who played John Hammond. He slept through the whole thing. Back to Jurassic World, which revolves around this idea that in the last 20 years, scientists have learned a lot more about DNA, and instead of getting DNA, dinosaur DNA from amber, they're now just making their own stuff in the lab, which is how they're able to come up with Indominus Rex. But, spoiler alert, and you could probably see this coming, Indominus Rex manages to escape its cage and wreaks havoc and everything goes crazy and they have to figure out a way to fight this new, practically invincible animal. And they do this with a lot of tactics, including trying to get the Velociraptors to hunt it down. So just for fun, our dinosaur of the day is Indominus Rex, which the name means Fierce or Untamable King. And according to the movie, they decided to make this because kids get bored by regular dinosaurs and they had a bunch of focus groups that wanted something scarier and cooler. And so to attract new visitors, they came up with Indominus Rex. It looks like a T-Rex, but it's also a mix of Carnotaurus, Gigantosaurus, and other carnivores. It also has traits of frogs in terms of being able to control its thermal regulation and traits from a cuttlefish to camouflage into its surroundings. And another spoiler alert, it's also got traits from Velociraptor, which is kind of a big mystery in the movie, because they're not allowed to know, it's top secret, the exact mix that made Indominus Rex. And of course, that kind of changes things when they set the Velociraptors loose on Indominus Rex. According to Jurassic World's website, Indominus Rex can run up to 30 miles per hour, and its roar is 140 to 160 decibels, which is the same as a 747 taking off and landing. But it didn't really seem any louder than a T-Rex in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And no one went deaf, so I don't know about that. 30 miles an hour seemed about right, though. The director of Jurassic World, Colin Trevorrow, talked a little bit about how they came up with the idea of Indominus Rex. He said uh, they wanted it to look somewhat like a real dinosaur, so they consulted with Jack Horner, who was a consultant for all the other Jurassic Park movies, and he was also the inspiration for Dr. Alan Grant in the original movie. 
And they came up with a whole bunch of crazy ideas. Apparently, Jack Horner said no to the idea that the dinosaur should be bulletproof. Although in the movie they shoot it a lot, and it never seems to be phased by any of the bullets, so I'm not sure if they actually decided not to make it bulletproof or not. We did see it was losing a little bit of blood in its back. Hmm. There's definitely wounds. Or was that from when it cut out its own Well, there was that too, thing. but... There were also long spear things on its back at one point. But anyway, Jack Horner, he nixed a few of the ideas, but basically said, go crazy, do whatever you want. And apparently he was hoping that Indominus Rex would be even more ridiculous than it was. And interestingly, he said, quote, that is the most plausible part of the movie, making transgenic animals. That's more plausible than bringing a dinosaur back from amber. Yeah, we've talked about in the past how you can't get DNA out of a mosquito because even if it's perfectly preserved and in a refrigerator or whatever you can come up with, like a mammoth frozen in an ice cap, DNA will degrade after a couple million years and won't make it anywhere near the 65 million year minimum that you'd need to get dinosaur DNA. But you can get DNA from modern animals and splice them together potentially and make a genetic hybrid like they did in the movie. Yeah, Jack Horner's example is that Chihuahua is a genetically modified wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, so there's a lot of things you can do to mess with the traits of an animal more so than trying to bring one back from the dead. There was going to be a second hybrid dinosaur in the movie. It was going to be a Stegosaurus-Triceratops mix, but they cut it out of the script before filming. Yeah, I remember we found out about the toy Stegosaurus-Triceratops that got leaked and we were both pretty disappointed in that one because it just seems kind of stupid. <laughs> the Indominus Rex I actually didn't mind in the movie. It played its part pretty well, and they did a good job of making it corny enough that they were, you know, understanding of how crazy it was to come up with this idea and putting in enough scientific mumbo-jumbo <laughs> to make it kind of believable and You could take the leap of faith that you have to a little bit with science fiction. But Stegoceratops would have been just kind of, I don't know, a little bit too much. Maybe it'll make an appearance in the next one. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Jack Horner gets his way, apparently. Yeah. Well, so Jack Horner is working on modifying a chicken embryo to look like a dinosaur. And we've talked on this show before about chicken embryos that have been modified to have a dinosaur-looking snout. So Jack Horner and his colleagues actually last year in 2014 published a paper that looked at how bird tails evolved. And before that, a geneticist from Harvard named Matthew Harris had engineered a chicken with crocodile-like teeth. There was another story in Scientific Reports where some researchers were trying to see the difference between the hallux in a bird and a dinosaur. And the hallux is technically just the innermost toe or digit on a foot. So on a human, it's the big toe. (laughs) But on a bird, it's that toe that sticks backwards and allows them to perch on a branch so that they can grasp all the way around it. But it turns out on dinosaurs, that hallux is not opposable, so they couldn't use it to grasp onto things. It was just kind of a claw that stuck out the back or, you know, maybe a little toe or something. It seems that that transition between the hallux being opposable and being just a claw or a toe or something is linked very closely with flight, which kind of makes sense 
because if you need to perch to be able to get a good spot to fly from, you would need uh, that opposable hallux. So that's what these researchers found. So another piece to the puzzle, aside from teeth and a snout and a rigid tail, is also this opposable hallux becoming just a de-evolving it into a regular claw. I believe Jack Horner's goal is to eventually engineer a chicken to look like a dinosaur, but that could take many years since genetics is so complicated. There's an article in Time that talks about exactly how you would combine a couple of species in these transgenic modifications, and they point out that it's actually very difficult to get the things to work together because activating a gene isn't just as simple as, you know, you find this segment of code that's not active and you activate it and all of a sudden you have a beak instead of a snout or whatever. There's actually a combination of different genes and mechanisms that go on to form the different structures of an animal. So like we talked about with the snout, they had a couple of different competing proteins and they had to balance them at different phases of the biology to make sure that it developed into the right shape. And it gets even more complicated with a living animal because you have to make sure that all of these things aren't going to somehow combine into something that doesn't allow it to live very long and that they all match up in such a way that it allows it to actually move the way that an animal needs to move and all those kinds of things. They have to match the epigenetics and also the active genes all into one cohesive unit, and it's actually incredibly difficult to get all that to work together. And they point to the few animals that have actually the ability to mate together, like a donkey and a horse, to make a mule. Typically, they're sterile afterwards because something went wrong in the process, and it's not really a full species by itself. It's this hybrid, but it it can't mate because it's a little bit mixed up there. And then on top of that, in Jurassic World, they've got this Indominus Rex that's a combination of four or even more different animals. And then at that point, it gets incredibly complicated because all of these genes are going to be competing with one another and they have to work together and not conflict and all that kind of stuff. So it would be super, super difficult to do, but theoretically possible. So it is interesting. The Wall Street Journal talks about, though, bringing dinosaurs back in any way would be really difficult, but there's talk that woolly mammoths could possibly be brought back. Uh, There's a team in Japan in 2011 that said they would make a woolly mammoth clone using genetic material they've extracted and a modern elephant to carry it to term, and researchers at Harvard have apparently also made some progress on this. So the Wall Street Journal also said that if they ever do make a woolly mammoth, it would likely find a home in Pleistocene Park, which was created in Russia to recreate life in that area during the last ice age. Yeah, Pleistocene is the epoch right before the Holocene, which is what we're in now, so that just refers to the whole period you think of with woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and all those recently extinct animals. So even though Jurassic World didn't really incorporate what we know about dinosaurs today into the movie, there have been a lot of articles out lately that talk about the evolution of dinosaurs in the media. For a while, dinosaurs were depicted as more similar to crocodiles, very scaly, dragged their tail, slow. And when Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park in the 80s, actually a lot of people still 
consider dinosaurs to be that way. But because of him and his movie, as I mentioned before, people started seeing dinosaurs as faster and smarter. And you can kind of see this actually Yahoo, and we'll post a link in the show notes to this, has a video that shows dinosaurs in the media or in movies from 1915 all the way up until... 2016, there's another dinosaur movie coming out next year. And so it starts with Gertie the Dinosaur and also has the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and Land Before Time and Land of the Lost and a whole bunch of dinosaur movies. So yeah, it's really cool to see them all rapid fire and it shows in one corner the year and in the other corner the name of the movie. So you get a good feel for how they evolved, at least in the Hollywood world over the years. Also, just for fun, Sesame Street recently started making parodies of famous movies with their Sesame Street characters. Especially Cookie Monster. Especially Cookie Monster. (laughs) One of them is Jurassic Park, or actually Jurassic Cookie, with Cookie Monster as Dr. Hammond. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) It's really good, and it also incorporates that Sesame style of learning, so they, even though it's funny and entertaining, there's also a little bit of learning for the kids who might be watching. So a few of our little opinions about Jurassic World. (laughs) I already mentioned that some of the dinosaurs and animals seemed a little bit big, but that works well on the big screen. I personally didn't think there were enough sauropods in the movie. Another uh, spoiler, there's a few sauropods, but they're all dying. (laughs) Or dead. Or dead. Sad. But the animatronics on them were great. Yeah, they looked like they were animatronic and not CGI. Some of the only animatronic-looking things in the (laughs) movie. (laughs) Yeah, some of the action sequences were really good. I liked the uh, Ankylosaur and Indominus Rex little battle that went on and the T-Rex Indominus battle that went on for a little while at the end. It was T-Rex, Velociraptor, Indominus. Oh, that's true. That was good. And then a special guest star at the end to clinch it. The Mosasaurus. There are also a lot of good moments of comedy spurs throughout the action. I yeah, thought. definitely, especially with Jake Johnson, the Samuel L. Jackson slash new girl guy. <laughs> he did a really good job. And Chris Pratt, too, did a good job with the comedic bits, although he wasn't really a compelling love interest like they tried to make him in the movie. Yeah. It's kind of I thought he was weird. fine. There were a lot of cheesy scenes, but you kind of expect that in a movie yeah. like this. There was a gratuitous slow motion running in heels away from the T-Rex scene. <laughs> yeah, they made her look like a goofy, aloof, like fool most of the movie though, which was kind of weird. Yeah. They had her change. They showed her character progress. A little bit. We saw it in the 3D IMAX because we wanted to see it in IMAX and they don't do IMAX not 3D apparently. And usually I don't like 3D too much. In this case, it wasn't too annoying. (laughs) There were a couple scenes like where there was blood dripping through leaves and Quetzalcoatlus sliding up next to some people that were a little bit, you know, look, we did 3D, but uh, most of it didn't really add or detract much from the movie, which I think is about as good as you can do with 3D. Usually just annoys me. So we both definitely recommend seeing it, especially since if you're listening to this, you're definitely a dinosaur fan. Yes. It's not as good as the original Jurassic Park, but it's, I think, better than Jurassic Park 2 and 3 and definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I think so too. It's probably the second best of the four of them. 
and it's got really good visual effects and it's always fun to see dinosaurs depicted as if they're really living again Mm -hmm. and seeing them in scale next to people is always like oh yeah they would have been huge (laughs) (laughs) even some of the pterodactyls and stuff lying around i was like wow yeah they were really big yep should check it out if you haven't already And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Again, if you want free copies of our dinosaur books, Top 10 Dinosaurs of 2014, What Happened to Brontosaurus, and eventually Dinosaur Wars, The Fall of Two Kingdoms, then please sign up for our mailing list before June 19th. Until next time. Thank you for listening to I Know Dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at iknowdino.com. And for more information on dinosaurs, go to iknowdino.com or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at iknowdino.